Hello and welcome to Flippin' and Mashing, a podcast about real pinball and multimorphic. And that's and pinball? it. <laughs> hey, we uh we have a special episode today. We we do. We absolutely and we have a special do. guest. We yeah. Who who do we have with, with us? We have Parnell and we have Ryan. Okay, but that's not special. I mean you're <laughs> special, but not the way you're talking about. Who's our special guest, Parnell? Hey, we have some people from the Multimorphic team uh, to come talk to us about the new game they just released. And we have Jerry and TJ. Welcome, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. I heard you guys released a new game. We did something. We did something cool. Did you? Holy moly. (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) You heard about that? What's the name? (laughs) All right, so this game is Weird Al's Museum of Natural Hilarity. It's all about the music, the life, the accomplishments, the career of Weird Al, and we've taken all that stuff and smushed it into a ball and threw it at a pinball machine and just let it let it build itself into a fun playing game. Yeah, and it is a super fun playing game at that. Like I I do genuinely like miss and remember specific shots and I'm uh yeah, it's it is a awesome awesome theme and I think you guys did a a really good job with it. Thanks, Ryan. The fact that it haunts <laughs> me still. <laughs> um yeah, I don't even know if we can talk about everything in it yet, Jerry. Is it you you still some secrets? Let's talk about all of it. Let's talk about the shots. Let's talk about the music. Let's talk about right. the theme. Let's dig in. Let me know what you want to know. So we'll we'll get to like the uh, the basics and going back to how you how you came about this. But from our last episode where we hyped this up, there was a couple things that we talked about where we said it felt so good, or it was the longest shot. Um, also, the right ramp can divert six different ways, I think it said yep. in the release. Yep. And that is ultimately one of the most impressive <laughs> ramps I've ever seen. Uh, being able to like not be a ramp, be a ramp, and then return it back to your flipper, but go up, and then the magnet. I mean, so, Ryan, what was that shot, um, the one that Jerry told us, was the most satisfying shot? How did that go? Yeah, um, so I think the shot was the right orbit to the upper left flipper, which then you flipped to hit the spiral ramp to go up the spiral ramp to the upper play field. Then the ball came around to the little mini flipper up top. You flipped the mini flipper to the inner orbit shot on the upper play field. And if you held the mini flipper up after you made that shot, the ball would go around that mini orbit, come down, and then it would bounce off of and carom off of the upper flipper and go right to the UHF shot. And it was, it really is. It's the best shot in pinball, period. <laughs> the uh, the spiral ramp in this shot. Uh, I'll let TJ talk through the technical challenges of it, but um, let me drop back a little bit into the the overall layout because it kind of leads into that shot specifically 
but the, the concept of this thing is a museum. So we wanted museum-y things in it. And we can talk about why it's a museum as well. But a museum has exhibits, of course. It's got paths through halls to exhibits and things. Um, it's not uncommon to see a big spiral staircase in the middle of a museum. It's not unusual to see a big statue thing in the middle of a spiral staircase in a museum thing. Um, there's a mezzanine, which is typical museum stuff. You go upstairs to see more exhibits and stuff. So all of these things are kind of designed to present this idea of a museum. Um, and I'll let TJ kind of talk through some of the challenges, but the spiral ramp was certainly one of them. Yeah, that was real challenging to make sure that it was very reliable that anytime you shoot the ball, it doesn't get rejected and dribble back out. We spent a lot of iterations making that right. But we really wanted to have the break the mold instead of having a spiraling wire form after you shoot a ramp or it goes around a loop and comes down. We wanted to have a spiral staircase that you could go up. So when the uh, spiral lift ramp is in the up position, that cuts off the right uh, inner orbit. Um, that shot's lit, and you can go up and around the hamster wheel, which is in the center of the spiral. But going up the spiral staircase naturally leads to the mezzanine, and that's one of the ways you can get up to the upper playfield. In that shot, the, the first time TJ design, uh, built the prototype of that thing, we put it together. We have another... Uh, a guy who helps us, his name's Trey. He builds some of our uh, prototype metal pieces. and He built it to TJ spec. He built it by hand, of course, because we're prototyping. And we put it in and it didn't work at all. We would hit this thing with the flipper and it would just kind of, I think the first time actually the entrance was too small. So TJ had to cut it open, open up the entrance. And then we kept trying it and the ball would just kind of rattle around. But uh, TJ tweaked the design and it wasn't but an hour or two later where every time we had a prototype play field where literally all we had was an outer loop rail, the upper left flipper. And I should start calling that side target left flipper because now there's a real upper flipper on the play field itself. But this side flipper from the left, you flip the ball. And when you properly time it to aim the ball into that spiral entrance, it flew around that thing the first time and literally threw, <laughs> flew out the back of the back panel. We thought we thought the speed of a ball going up this spiral ramp would get lost and it would just kind of get near the top and just kind of dribble back down. But there's so much speed on this thing, it literally flew out of the back of the machine. Yeah, that initial prototype we had... I think we hit it once very early on and it was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then it was an hour of rejects and it's just like, I just want to get that feeling one more time. And that's when we spent all that time going through iteration after iteration, tweaking the entrance, tweaking the angle. And a fun fact about that spiral, it is entirely uphill the entire way. The make point of that spiral that if the ball were to stop, um, is at the very end of it, um, the way the playfield sits, that if you don't make it to the very top of the spiral, it's going to come back down at you, which was a real interesting challenge to try to make. It doesn't look like it from the front, but the entire spiral is all uphill. And it laughs at you all the way down. Yeah, I think I measured it out um, in CAD. 
I want to say it's close to like a 21 inch ball travel distance going all the way around, all the way up. So it's a very long, long uphill shot. But when you hit it, it is so satisfying. So I've told everyone who's played this game, which includes uh, people that have come in like Colin McAlpine to, to help play test it and help with the rules and everyone who works at Multimorphic. And um, you guys, when you came in, I said the same thing, right? I said that this shot, when you hit it, is the best feeling that I have ever had shooting a shot in pinball. And every single person I've told this to has kind of looked at me like, yeah, 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 of course. It's your machine. It's your baby. It's whatever. I'll believe it when I see it. And you guys tell me what you thought when you hit that thing. Are you saying like that combo or like just the ramp? Just that ramp. I can tell you right now that I, you know, we probably spent, I think, close to like two or three hours of the day just trying to hit that ramp. Like that ramp was absolutely like super awesome to hit the first time. And then it was just like you had said, TJ, when you were trying to prototype it you know you hit it once early on and you're like oh my god you know and you just you chase that feeling that same feeling that you got presumably when you were actually prototyping it you know it was just i don't know about for you parnell but that's how i felt i just kept wanting to shoot it like constantly oh yeah and the the noise the ball makes going up is super for some reason there's a bunch of weird things that oddly satisfy me that noise going up the spiral staircase ramp and then it in the hamster wheel, but it just zips up there and uh, yeah, chasing that feeling of, cause uh, when it screams around the orbit, I mean, you have to be ready for it and I'm not good at pinball. So it's obviously, it takes me a long time. Uh, but then uh, in, in our last episode, we talked about another shot that, or a mode we wanted to keep trying and it was, the upper playfield loop. And so to get up there, that was also one of the ways to get up there. And so you had that satisfying shot of getting up that ramp and then trying to hit that upper loop or upper playfield orbit over and over again. Yeah, I'm absolutely. It was, it is a, it is a really great shot and um, it is my favorite. uh, It is absolutely my favorite ramp to shoot on a game. And I'll chime in that when you guys came to visit us early on, you were playing on our Whitewood. The production production one's even better. What? No. (laughs) That's awesome. Because the the Whitewood one was still hand-built and tweaked and tweaked and tweaked. But the one we had professionally manufactured, chef's kiss, it's, it's amazing. I used to I, I used to like the uh, I would have called the left ramp in Bram Stoker's Dracula the best feeling ramp to me and this is so much better it's so kinetically satisfying when you hit this spiral you hear it you see it it flies around there and like you said it combos into the upper flipper it's awesome I just looked up a picture of the Bram Stoker's yeah that's a a nice long sweeping ramp too yeah, it feels great when you hit it. It's on the edge of the tip of the flipper. It's pretty far shot. It feels really good when you nail it and it goes all the way around there, comes back. But this one is a little more challenging because of the timing of the ball coming around an orbit, whether it's the side loop or the outer loop. And uh, yeah, when you when you get it, it's awesome.
All right, so before we get too deep, let's talk about this from the beginning. So this is your first licensed game, right? Yep, first one. And did you know that you needed one? Do you want one? How how do you kind of come up with that decision? Obviously, in pinball, it's always a hot topic. Do we want original themes or do we want licensed themes? And everyone says, oh, original themes are cool. I want original themes. But then you create original themes, and they don't have that that connective power. You don't have nostalgia for an original story because you've never seen it or heard of it before. So everyone in pinball knows at this point that themes are what drives sales. Themes are what drives interest. Uh, so we knew long ago we wanted one, but of course, as a bootstrap startup company clawing their way through this industry, which is very expensive to build stuff in. Um, it just wasn't something that we could afford to do at the time. So now that we've had a couple of successful games and Heist really uh, leapt us forward in terms of our operating budgets and our ability to to uh, plan out a new game, we knew we wanted a theme. We wanted something that a lot of people knew, a lot of people loved, had some intrigue across ages, and we landed on Weird Al. I think it's a great theme. I mean, it's A, it's it's family friendly, right? I mean, you hear guys all the time online talking about how, you know, they're looking for a game that's family th- friendly. And so when I found out, or we found out rather, that it was, you know, Weird Al, um, I was extremely uh, happy to hear that because it's a theme and a license that literally anyone, um, regardless of age, can, you know, enjoy and appreciate. And it's not like you have to turn, um, you know, the adult mode off or something like that, right? Yeah, Al's an amazing personality. He is genuinely respected by pretty much everyone because he's he's just a cool and nice and and good guy. He has obviously music that oh geez he's gone across uh genres he's parodied a whole lot of different people different styles um he throws humor into everything his brand of humor is is weird out what how do you describe it it's just he's he's recognized for his comedic genius everything he does is just something else that his fan base just falls in love with and uh, but we started with an understanding of, well, I started with an understanding of some of his well-known parodies. Um, I didn't know a whole lot about all of the original music, but turns out that Steven Silver, the creative director, and Michael Ocean, our lead software developer on this game, are really big Weird Al fans. And they kind of opened the catalog up and started introducing the rest of us to these original songs. And at the end of all this, I actually think I like most of the originals better than the parodies, just because the creativity, the musical styles are generally based on an existing song by somebody else, style parodies, so to speak. And the lyrics, the creativity, the stories he tells, the jokes he makes, it's all just really cool stuff. So how did you get in contact with him to like um secure it or even talk to them about doing a pinball because now i i don't know if he's ever is weird al even into pinball <laughs> i've seen pictures of him in pinball and when, when we started talking to him about it yeah he, he told us he loved it um, and, and was really into the idea uh, i don't know that i'd heard anything in the past of anyone talking to him other than seeing him 
in some pictures that some uh, pinball enthusiast posted on Facebook or whatever. Uh, but I, I reached out. I, so I did this myself. We didn't use a licensing agent on our behalf. Um, I reached out to some people, got in touch with uh, apparently the right people because I found his team. I talked to his team, his manager, Jay, and I have spoken a bazillion times on the phone and over emails in the last few months, last six, seven, eight, nine months. Um, yeah, reached out, had some good conversations, had some some business conversations and worked through all the details. Uh, it's a lot more than just Weird Al and his team, though, because he's got a whole lot of music, and that music has a lot of uh, hooks, so to speak. There's licensing involved with every single one of these songs that we had to work through as well. So we talked to Al's, Al and his team. We got them on board. We talked to all the music producers and the music owners and worked through some of these songs are owned by are produced by a lot of different people. So you've got to get everyone on board. You've got to work out the licensing agreements with all of the studios. And eventually we had every contract signed. Uh, it was like March or April last year. Every single contract was signed. We had agreements done and we got to design. So you didn't, are you saying you didn't design the playfield until after all the music was secured? Yeah, we didn't get going at all until the the music and the license were secured. There's no point in spending time and money doing something that you're not sure you're going to be able to do. Man, so just just under a year for a full game? Yes, we signed the contract. I believe the first contract was in February and the rest of the musics came in March or April. Yeah, we designed this thing in about... Oh, uh, TJ, when was the t- first Whitewood flipping? Oh, maybe June? Late, late, more, late May, June? Yeah, we put together concept pretty quickly and started building stuff for sure. Yeah, it was probably third quarter of last year. Maybe wow. second, June is second quarter. That's incredible. Yeah, so I, I know a lot of people talk sometimes about whether or not you design a play field and then attach a theme to it or you get a theme and then build a playfield around it. And we absolutely did the latter. This entire playfield is built around the career of, of Weird Al that we started with the concept. We found the music that we wanted. Um, and then we built up the playfield to encompass it all. Well, and I think that's the better way to do it too, right? Because then you're actually pulling in specific elements like all over with potentially the entire layout uh, as opposed to like last minute throwing some toys in to change it, you know, because you had an idea sort of, and then after you got the license, it was like, okay, well now with whatever real estate that's left, how do we like implement it? Right. So, yeah, we had, we had an idea sort of is, is funny because we spent, oh geez, TJ, how long did we spend just trying to come up with a concept that would bring all of his diverse music into a single story i mean it was probably a good three weeks of back and forth trying to come up with an overarching overarching theme to to tie all of this genre spanning music together because right a rock band's easy A, a, a rock band has a style or a specific vibe about them or there's a specific type of music they play um or you just do a jukebox game where literally you're shooting just shots 
that you decide means something, but you're doing it for the purpose of playing the music. Uh, but we wanted to tell the story of the music. We have this big LCD in the play field so we could show content that represented the music, the lyrics of the music, how the music's incorporated into the theme. Uh, we did all this stuff, uh, but we didn't know how we were going to tie it all together at first. And we did, there were like seven or eight of us on Zoom calls like every day for weeks trying to come up with a story. We talked about building worlds, going into um, doing some kind of a, teleportation system though that was just done in rick and morty with the portals uh, we talked about building a tv station kind of thing you change channels and you wind up in a different environment or a different channel uh, that's kind of also in rick and morty <laughs> with the what is it called intergalactic tv yeah yeah uh, no, we talked about building a different planet where you experience all these weird things which tie into the music but uh, eventually we came up with this concept for museum and it was a great choice because the museum itself allows us to bring in different items and different concepts and tie it to the music it also allows to have a museum curator yes a very strange one <laughs> you might even call him weird you might <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I thought um, the the museum was honestly like a really cool idea um, and a really interesting way to kind of go about um, presenting this, right? So I I thought it fit extremely well because um, you can take a museum, right, and especially like a natural history type of museum where there's objects, there's things that. Uh, mean regular things in normal life but when you jump into them and put some kind of spin on them or, or tie them into these uh, these interpretations that somebody can have of them uh, you can do so many stuff so many things with it and the fact that we have the screen means we can i say the p3 is the best storytelling pinball machine because we have this screen that the ball is literally rolling on top of and we can immerse the player into the story of the game, no matter what the game is, whether it's Lexi Lightspeed or racing in outer space and cosmic kart racing, or this uh, the heist concept where you're, you're you see the city that you're building your crew to uh, attack the guy that's uh, got his hands on the city. You see all the elements there. the The screen in this machine allows us to tell that story, and we leverage it in this game by literally dropping into you dropping you into this immersive environment that represents each and every song and we tie that into the museum by simply you go to an exhibit you select the song curtains kind of close and then open again and now you're in the world represented by that music yeah it was it's it's pretty awesome going into the war the different modes and like playing through them because they are so different and varied between them. Like I, uh, I really did enjoy that. And that's, that's another thing that stuck with me for sure was the variety and how everything was both displayed, but just portrayed in general. Like it, it was, it was really interesting. I liked it. And it's atypical for pinball, right? Cause the, the music, Al's music is so diverse that, it's not just all rock music or it's uh, the Beatles game is great, but the style of that music is all, is all Beatles. It's all very similar. 
but our music is so diverse and he's got uh, we used mission statement a kind of a Crosby Stills and Nash uh, style parody we used uh, he's got Nine Inch Nail style parody he's got Amish Paradise of course White Nerdy Like a Surgeon all these things they're so wildly different from each other um, that that it, it was neat to find a way to tie them all together I think we did it pretty well I would say they even segue together <laughs> white and nerdy oh that was so fun follow al around his segue as he shows you the items in the museum uh do we want to talk about um maybe the stuff in the playfield, or we want to talk about the the songs and then get into art or playfield design why don't we segue so to speak from the uh, the fact that we build a museum into the physicals and go back to that. Okay. Okay. So you have the museum idea. And like you had said earlier in the show, the spiral staircase ramp is was a big part of that museum feel. Uh, what other things did you guys design in the playfield design that have to do with the museum? So we started a Slack chat. There was all of us around Slack. And got to remember, we're in COVID world where we're all in different places. Most of us are working from home. A couple of us might be in the office, but we're all kind of talking on the internet, trying to come up with ideas to roll into this playfield layout. Um, Steven Silver, the creative director, he was trying to uh, solicit ideas to uh, bring in this museum kind of environment. Um, and then he's the one that, that kind of picks the good ideas and throws away the bad ideas or finds the ideas that can work well together. But I, I think uh, I think Rory, Rory Cernuda, are, are one of our graphics guys. Well, the main graphics guy who does a lot of the Unity graphics work for us. He said it needs to have a mezzanine because museums have mezzanine. And that to us meant this might be an opportunity to, to do our first upper play field. So... I think the basis of our playfield development, this one started from the idea of we'll have a base level uh, layout where you have normal loops and targets and whatever toys we could come up with and an upper playfield so that we could kind of tie in different exhibit halls to an upper region. And that led into discussions about how to transition between the two playfields, what museum-y things made sense to put in there. And I will let TJ take it from there because I think we started with some weird concepts and um, eventually landed on some cool ramps. Yeah, well, the mezzanine started as just this tiny little upper playfield that was, I don't know, maybe five inches by five inches in the very back corner. And then just getting through the design, it turns out we could make it larger and larger. And now it occupies probably a good 25% of the upper playfield real estate. But one thing we did want to make sure we had on the mezzanine was a small handrail on the edge to prevent the ball just from falling off the edge. So there's a little tiny metal handrail with tiny cutouts and little plastic windows in between. It's just fun little details like this that often get overlooked, but it's I, there's so much joy in making tiny details like this pop. And this whole game is packed full of little details like that. A lot of it's in the artwork on the various ramps. 
and on the ball rails you see all the little exhibits all the paintings they all have a little twist to them there's many depictions and likenesses of al and just about everything but with the mezzanine um, being the upper level we did have to come up with some creative ways to get there um, one of which is the spiral spiral staircase ramp um, and then we have another ramp or right ramp that uh will allow you to get up get up to the mezzanine so we have two ways to get up there did we talk about the spiral first or did we talk about the hamster first i don't think we really talked about oh you mean <laughs> no I, I don't mean on the podcast i mean in the in, in the design process i think we did them both at the same time but they didn't they weren't they didn't occupy the same space Right, because originally we talked about having this centralized statue thing. We had this concept. So Stephen brought this concept um, to us all, which was to have statues, um, your traditional statue, Statue of David, um, the Thinker, uh, the Discus Thrower, all that stuff in the museum because you're in a museum of natural hilarity or history, so to speak. Um, so we started with this concept. Someone threw out the idea for the statue Atlas, uh, where you have the where you have Atlas holding up the world. So we came up with, or we started talking about ideas to implement a physical toy that would represent the world that Atlas is holding up. And at one point, I don't remember how we transitioned from the world to. A hamster wheel. But I do remember we came up with the hamster idea because hamster his Al has a couple of songs about hamsters and it's it, it's it's a theme that, that he uh he integrates in a few places. Um uh, I think we started with the idea that there'd be a hamster ball. That's that's like yeah, that's how we got beach, there. Instead of the the, the globe that Atlas holds, it was gonna be a hamster ball. But then it was right. practically difficult to make a hamster ball that looked that, that you could tell what it was and not just this weird plastic sphere. So then it transitioned to a wheel. And if we, we were going to put a hamster wheel on the play field, everybody would be disappointed if it couldn't lock a ball in it and rotate. So we had to, had to make that work. Which it does. It works really well now. And it's a very, very fun gag that Harvey the hamster is in the little wheel and you can lock lock balls in there at the same time. You can lock balls in there. It, it, it moves in both directions. There's a plastic on there that shows Harvey on it. And when the, the wheel's spinning, it shows the plastic stays at the bottom and it shows this Harvey character. It looks like he's running up the wheel. It's really cool. Yeah, that Harvey toy was seriously, uh, it, it, I was really blown away when I initially saw the mech. I mean, it was really everything, right? But uh, that Harvey mech was really cool. And then actually getting to see how it integrated and manipulated the ball while it was up there, it was, that was honestly like a, a really awesome moment seeing um, that Harvey plastic work the way that it does, right? Because um it spins with the hamster ball or the hamster wheel for a while but then when it goes to like let the ball out of that hamster wheel it stops moving and that was just really awesome to see 
so we came up with the idea for the hamster wheel and we're like we have to feed a ball into this and this thing is elevated above the play field because it's above the printed plastic which is the atlas or owl as atlas holding up he's got his arms spread as if he's holding up the world which the world is now a hamster wheel but this is above it's suspended so in order to get the ball into it it's got to come from above so that kind of led tj down the path of building a way to get a ball from the mezzanine into the hamster wheel yeah and that kind of set the height of everything was well we could we could run it in from the mezzanine if we kind of open the handrail up um but then that started getting into many restrictions of, well, the mezzanine has to be this high for these reasons, but it can't be too high because this will interfere. And it was, it was a fun challenge to fit everything in there where it's at height wise and still allow the ball to maneuver around so many different things. The spiral, um, on the spiral, whenever it works its way back towards the player, as the ball's going up on the left side, um, bridges right over top of the little chute that goes into the hamster wheel and the clearance there had to be so close for it to work but it's it's so cool the way it works now I'm so impressed by it <laughs> the me- mechanical guy says the mechanical design is really cool and it and it is he deserves all that credit um, but so we have this mezzanine which is by the way the mezzanine is clear it's clear plastic because we have this large upper playfield area and we didn't want to obscure your view of all of the mechs on the lower playfield and uh, there's a drop target in a scoop and there's side loops and there's uh, other elements that sit underneath the mezzanine itself so that's clear plastic but so you shoot up either the spiral or there's a right ramp um, and the right ramp which is kind of mimicking an escalator in a museum. It's this thing that's off to the side. It's out of the main path. Um, It's your conduit to the second level if you don't walk up the central staircase. Um, And we wanted to bring more things on the P3 down closer to the player. So this ramp is unique in a bunch of ways, but it's the lowest ramp on a P3 playfield so far, the ramp flap is actually sitting on top of the walls and scoops in front of it so that we could extend the shot entrance um, down closer to the player. Yeah, and because the ramp does extend over the walls and scoops, it had to be a lift ramp so that, or we wanted to make it a lift ramp so that the walls and scoops could still be operational underneath of it. The walls and scoops can lift the ramp up um, and still function in various ways throughout the game, and they still do. I was going to say, so now the ramp entrance is on the scoop wall, so that is a first, but like you said, it's the lowest ramp entrance, and it's bringing something lower, clo- closer to the player, which people have talked about. Um, yes, so i interrupt you real quick right there. When I we, we talked to... Dennis Norman, back in the day, he helped us design Lexi Lightspeed. Uh, He, at first, was struggling to accept that the uh, area of our upper playfields 
was enough area to design a game. So I, I challenged him. I said, Dennis, take this drawing, this uh, view of the playfield, and lay it over top of all of your other playfield designs. And he did that, and he was like, "Holy crap, Jerry, you're right. The lowest mech on one of my playfields, in almost well, in almost every one of my playfields, is literally right about the vertical of the wall and scoops." And like the the chest on Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, the original Pirates of the Caribbean game, there's a heart chest on the right. And it feels to me, my memory says that that's really close to the flippers. But it's not. When you lay that on top of the drawing of the P3, that chest or heart chest is right on top of where those scoops are. So bringing the ramp entrance closer to the player and getting it just at the front of those walls and scoops makes it about the same as all mechs on all pinball machines. So um, yes, we can still bring stuff closer, but it, it it's another level closer than we've had before. Yeah. And I really liked that right ramp too, because it's just, I don't know, it, something about it was just really magical when I was playing it where, you know, sometimes it would move up out of the way. Sometimes it would catch the ball and feed it back down. Like there was just a lot of variety in shooting that shot and it felt really good. Like every time I shot it. Um, and I was really impressed too, that um, that had been designed the way that you guys did where it's actually so far down. Um, you know, comparatively, uh, you know, I'm sure it's only what an inch and a half or two inches. I don't know exactly, but uh, it was really cool to see that that was overhanging. Right. And then the game was able to still work completely and it offered, you know, additional levels of immersion that, you know, if you just took a really quick glance at it, you wouldn't necessarily be able to see everything that's going on because you guys really did throw I think there's a kitchen sink in there. I'm, I'm sure of it somewhere. So the ball goes up the right ramp. It passes by or is accelerated by or is stopped by a magnet. There's a magnet on the ramp itself, very similar to how we did ramps on the uh, magnets on the ramps in Cosmic Heart Racing. But then it goes up the ramp farther and it goes into this complex mech that TJ will have to describe because this complex mech can send the ball in one of, let me see if I can count, uh, one, two, three, four different places, I think. Yeah, I know, I know that magnet is able to have six destinations. Yeah, so ramp up and ramp down. If the magnet drops the ball, go to either the, the side right flipper or to the in lane. Yeah, with the with the lift ramp or the the lifting part of the ramp being down at the walls, whenever it does lift up, it opens the downward path of that ramp to the wire form or the inlane wire form, which is super cool. And then if the magnet accelerates it up, it goes into this diverter setup, which it's either three or four destinations, but uh, it's a complex set of things that allow you to send that ball into many different destinations yeah with one one diverter we're able to send the ball either back down the spiral wire form 
um, load it into the hamster wheel, send it down the left in-lane wireform, or allow it to pass through to the mezzanine and up to that upper mini flipper. Yeah, so if you shoot the right ramp, if the ramp is engaged, so the ramp's down at the playfield level, you shoot the ball from the left flipper up the right ramp, and if the diverters are set so the ball will just pass through, the ball goes all the way from the left flipper up the right ramp on the right side of the game, all the way around the back, all the way into the mezzanine loop, and it smoothly feeds the upper flipper on that mezzanine loop. And at a reasonable speed, too. It, it, with the magnet up there, we're able to get it up there, so it's not. it never feels like, oh, I just had enough power to make that shot. It's always, man, we got the ball up there. Let's keep let's keep trying to make this mezzanine loop over and over again. Does it kind of do like what Cosmocar did and like assist the ball? Like kind of, it can assist it up the ramp so it gains some more speed? Yeah, it can do that. So it can, it can tell how fast the ball's moving and we can in software tell it to either accelerate it or just let it go. Or we could even stop it and drop it back down the inlane. Uh, we're not doing that yet, but it's a, it's a cool way to um, do a lot of things. Like we could take the magnet, stop the ball, play a mode intro, welcome to the mezzanine or whatever, and then throw it up the ramp. Or we can just accelerate it, or we can just let the power that the, the player shot the ball up the ramp take take it over itself. Is this one of the first ramps where you can shoot up and then it stops and like it can bring the ball back down to your flipper, like back down the ramp, but it's lifted? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I've only seen a couple like uh, maybe Stern Mustang and some other ones where the ramp, you know, the flap can go up and down and there's different, you know, pin bot has it where you shoot under it and it drops down and it can go up it. But like this is, you can go up the ramp and then it can lift and then bring it back down to your flipper. Like that's pretty revolutionary. Revolutionary. Pinball evolved. <laughs> this is an industry first that, that uh, I would say. It's one of those like it's very simple, right? It's it's not insane technology. It's not like you developed a whole new mech. You just did some really sweet stuff with the current stuff you have. So what what's even extra special about that right ramp is there's a launch tube. Uh, on the P3, we can launch the ball from various positions, and there's a launch tube that can launch a ball straight out of the ball trough and land it on that magnet. So the launch system from the P3 can kick a ball out and then the magnet can either drop it. So it can drop it down the right in lane. If the ramp's up, it can drop it down to the uh, side right flipper. If the ramp's down or it can accelerate it back up the ramp to any of those four destinations, TJ just said, which essentially allows us to send the ball anywhere we want on the entire game. Pre-plan that? Like, is that like a, Hey, this one, this one ramp needs, Needs a ball drop eject. <laughs> it was one of those things that's just like, we wanted to put the magnet there to do one thing, but then it was like, you know, if we do this this way, we could also make this magnet send the ball here. But then if I shuffle these other things around, we can also have it go here. And it just kind of kept adding on to be very minor design tweaks have very large design implications or gameplay implications. Yeah. We, I, I remember talking about these ideas and we're like, what if we did this? And TJ's <laughs> eyes roll. And they're like, 
Uh, I, just, else. <laughs> I just, I just, yeah. I just had it working, and now they're asking me to make it do more. File save as revision eight. Let's go again. <laughs> <laughs> like, how much can you put in this thing? Obviously, the tolerances are that tight. A lot. Yeah, if you look at this upper play field, I'm, sh- I'm sure there are pictures linked in the uh, podcast notes. But every little bit of space that we had is used for something including the area around that right ramp and around to the launch tube. And oh, by the way, there's a wire form that feeds the, the cool UHF camera we have. All and the game has there. three pop bumpers, which take up a huge amount of real estate. Yeah, where are they? Right? Like, where did you put all this stuff? <laughs> so I figured back in the beginning of this design that if, if we were going to ask somebody, Al in this case, Weird Al, what are the features that he loves about pinball um, ask anybody and they're going to say the flippers and bumpers and targets probably and three pop bumpers to me was a really important part of this design because it's something that represents traditional pinball very well Um, we have three pop bumpers in lexi but lexi's layout isn't crazy complex this layout is crazy complex and has three pop bumpers taking up all the room that they take up. And there's still, I think there's 15 or 16 different shots through this entire play field and all the toys and all the targets and everything else. And it's a pretty impressive job by TJ. Yeah. It, it, I, I remember the first time seeing it, my, I was speechless. Like I just, everywhere you look, there's another shot and it's like, Oh, there's, Oh, and, and as you're looking at one thing, there's another thing there that you, you didn't see before, but now that you are admiring and you just, you keep doing that as you look across the play field. Um, it was, it was really awesome to be able to see um, just how much you guys have been able to pack into the game. So what you just said is funny because in Al's music, you hear references every time you listen to this music, you hear a different reference that you didn't hear before. When you look at the artwork in this game by Matt Andrews, amazing artwork. Uh, there's two packages of the cabinet artwork, but the play field is all the same. Um, but it's the museum and his references, references to all of his songs and musics and his career and uh, movies and TV shows he's been in. There are references everywhere. So every time you look at this play field or at the cabinet artwork or whatever, there's something different you see every time. Um, so doing that with the mechanical layout as well was something that we thought was pretty cool. So when we went to record the last hype podcast, we were, me and Ryan were just talking about like, um, cause we had played it a couple months ago. So we were talking about our experience and what we remember. And I had forgot like half the freaking shots on the game. I forgot the camera was there, that there was an uh, orbit, like a <laughs> mini orbit underneath it. It's like, oh, my gosh, what <laughs> I, I'm going to blame dad brain, but there's just so much. And you just, it's so easy once you uh, don't have it in your house, Jerry, you need to ship it. Um, I can't remember it. (laughs) There's just too much. I mean, it can't be too much because it feels really good, but it's, uh, it's, it's wild. To be fair, the white wood you guys saw didn't have any artwork on it at all. Yeah. Uh, having the artwork on the play field, on all toys, on all the mechs, it really makes it pop and stand out. It does. But, I mean, it was pretty easy for me, uh, you know, to an extent. Because um, Parnell was like, you know, 
uh, like, you know, and he was trying to go over the stuff that he remembered. And I was like, all right, well, you know, you, you forgot this, you forgot that, you forgot that. Because I just, for whatever reason, there were so many moments when I was playing this game that felt like all of the shots felt so good. And there were just these moments where it just, everything felt right. And I guess those are just moments that really stuck with me, you know, and it's an attest, a testament to, you know, the, the design and the build. But um, I like legitimately remembered probably 99% of what I saw as far as like the basic layout, just because of how exciting it was to play and shoot. I mean, yeah, I, it, it is, it is even more beautiful than when we saw it, obviously. Um, but you know, that, that layout is stellar. So we're talking a lot about the layout, of course, because we have TJ on the call that, that we wanted to deliver something that allowed you to experience the breadth that a museum can provide, that the music can provide. But let's talk a little bit about the music too, because obviously Weird Al is, we all know him because of his music and because of his, uh, because of the movie UHF and because of all that stuff. And, the way we've kind of tied these shots into experiencing the music is really what exemplifies the power of the theme and what, what brings you into it. And the, it immerses you into the gameplay, but the, the gameplay is based entirely around the songs, making you experience them, making you live them, making you hear the lyrics and actually play the modes based on what the lyrics are saying. And we have references to all of the lyrics and all these modes uh, a song like Sports Song, which is one of his originals, uh, we the, the lyrics are always saying, we're great and you suck. We're great, you suck. And so the shots on the play field are delivering you that experience. When you hit the good shots, it says, we're great. You're great. You're doing great. And then when you hit the bad so shots, you, you suck. And the song just... Um, the shots in the mode force you to experience the song and you get the power of the song. You get to live the song while you're playing. And that's repeated over and over and over again in this game. I remember trying to do the traffic, <clears throat> the traffic song. And then I kept draining, <laughs> but I loved being in the traffic and trying to get through that. Tra traffic jam. I, I took a lot of flack when I think it was, it was definitely me who threw out the idea that traffic jam is about the frustration of being in a traffic jam. Um, and I said, this should be an, it should be a really frustrating mode. And everyone kind of looked at me like, you want to, do you want us to make a mode that's not fun to play or that, that, that gives you a feeling of frustration. And th there was a balance there, right? It, 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 we don't want to develop a mode that's frustrating to play. It needs to be fun. It needs to deliver you the uh, the feeling you deserve when you hit a good shot and those things. But the uh, the song is horns honking and talking about being stuck in a traffic jam. So the mode shows you. It shows you in Weird Al's uh, first car, a Belvedere, and he's in the he's in the back seat. You see him in the rearview mirror, and he's he's. Well, the, the music's playing, but he's basically your tour guide through this museum exhibit uh, from the backseat of this car. And you're literally trying to hit shots to move left or move right and switch lanes and make a little bit more progress. And if you hit bad shots, you see the horns honking and the red lights coming on and you getting yelled at and everything. And it's 
it's just like you're living in a traffic jam as described by the song. I definitely can say a hundred percent word crimes was one of the modes that I really <laughs> liked. Uh, and I thought you guys did a really good job, like allowing you to like live that too. Like, I, I definitely enjoyed all the modes, but word crimes really stuck out for me for whatever reason. And uh... <laughs> word crimes that's themed around you taking a test, which sounds like the most boring mode in the history of pinball, but it's absolutely not. You're you're experiencing the test, but honestly, the test doesn't matter so much. It's just providing you this immersive environment, and it's asking you to hit shots to answer the questions on the test and then Scott Denise's sound effects on top of it and the subtle jokes and references and stuff in the test questions. It's, um, it's hilarious to me. Yeah. And uh, another one was a, was it mission statement? <laughs> I really liked mission statement too. That one was a ton of fun. Mission statements, this entirely different style of song that's, absolutely incredible the lyrics on that it's kind of like you know when you read or used to read the comic dilbert and you're like this is a perfect representation of what corporate life is where it's corporate life is like well this song and its lyrics it's got all the buzzwords it's basically walking you through this um buzzword laden description of what business is and how do you deliver business into a fun playing pinball mode? Well, you create value. You you shoot shots to increase your stock price and do all these cool things to build value. And while you're hearing the lyrics about creating corporate synergy and doing all these things to increase value, you're hitting shots to do exactly that. Um, couple that again with the sound effects, which provide you the immersion and the light shows that help provide the environment that you want to experience while you're playing pinball. And you get to play this song, enjoy the song and do all these cool pinball things that represent what the lyrics are saying. So you have 17 of L songs. Does that mean there's 17? Yes. Modes? They're, like they're all tied to a mode. There are 10 exhibit halls so 10 of the songs rep are represented by exhibit halls then there are a few songs that are multi-balls a hardware store which is a really high speed fast paced song uh, you're fixing <laughs> because you have this steel ball you're playing us you're playing a pinball game with a steel ball this steel ball is inside <laughs> of a museum like a bull in a china shop the ball is breaking stuff it's crashing into the sides it's breaking exhibits you hear glass shattering you do all these things that don't seem like good things to do in a museum so hardware store is themed around repairing the hall you you get tools from the of course the supplies closet um, you collect tools, you go into there to start the mode, then you play hardware store. Uh, we have a UHF multi-ball mode. We have a dare to be stupid multi-ball mode, which is, I'd like to say this is the most intricate mode that I've ever seen for sure. It's a game within a game. Um, then we have You Make Me, which is a, a mini wizard mode. We have Harvey the Wonder Hamster, which plays when you're trying to light lock. 
the hamster wheel lock. And then we have Fun Zone, which is an instrumental, a high-speed instrumental, instrumental song that plays while you're just in the lobby and not in any mode. So in total, we have it's five parodies and 12 of Al's original songs. You forgot uh, My Bologna. <laughs> my Bologna. My Bologna. My, <laughs> my Bologna, the parody of My Sharona, is uh, a mode where... So the, the mezzanine in this game represents the food court. The food court that you'd see in a museum or a mall or, or something like that style of building. Um, so you go up there, and there's a couple targets labeled Just Eat It. Just eat it targets. You hit those a bunch of times. I think it's nine times right now. It might be a setting. And it lights my bologna. And in my bologna, your entire goal while you're hearing the song play is to shoot up the right ramp or the spiral ramp. Either way, they both go to the to the mezzanine. And your goal is to shoot targets and loops in the upper play field. And shooting the loop drops baloney onto a plate or onto a piece of bread on the plate and hitting the targets adds vegetables and condiments to the stack and your entire goal in this mode is to build the biggest possible sandwich that you can build so you shoot it up the ramp you're hitting targets and loops and then the ball falls off the mezzanine that sandwich is finished the cashier checks you out but the ramp stays down so you can shoot it again and try to build the biggest bologna sandwich um getting your name on the biggest bologna sandwich build is so great that is one of my <laughs> favorite that is that is a mode that we spend over an hour on trying to just build oh, sandwiches for sure i'm sure <laughs> I, i'm sure for over an hour uh you mainly just heard my bologna <laughs> playing over and over again. but you guys played it before we had before we had sound calls in there, uh, voice calls uh, in there, right? Yes. Yeah, there was not... Yeah. It was just a little bit of music. Yep. Yeah, so you got to just play the music without hearing him taunt you or congratulate you or, or, or say all the funny things he says throughout the game. Wow. Well, and speaking... You will get to experience all over speaking again. Speaking of him taunting us, um, not only have I read that there is 2,000 Weird Al callouts, but... Scott Denisi did the audio package that we all thought somehow he did the music on. Someone converted audio package to, to music or something. That's funny because it turned into a misdirection. But <laughs> we, we announced a long time ago that Scott Denisi was on the audio. And it was just supposed to say, hey, Scott's joined the team. He's, he's on our next game. He's doing the audio, of course, because Scott does audio. But everyone's like, oh, okay, cool. Scott's doing the music. And I'm like, I can't really correct that because if I correct that, then that'll that'll basically tell everyone that it's a music pin. So I let it go, and all the podcasters, all the people talking about this game, picked up on Scott Denise's doing the music, which was incorrect. There was a pin side thread labeled "Multimorphic's Next Game Denise on Music." I'm like, oh crap! <laughs> Everyone's gonna gonna be surprised when they see what this. It had to be is. hard not to. Not but to yes, anybody. I couldn't do it. I wanted to do it every time, but I couldn't do it. I actually had to go back and listen to 
some of the interviews I did to make sure I never said music. And I didn't. I said Scott Denise is on the audio every time. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Al went into the studio and he recorded for three hours. We had a script. He read every word a couple times to make sure we got good takes. He gave us variety. He gave us variations. Um, he is amazing because even after a couple hours, his voice is starting to get coarse when he talks. But when he records call-outs, they're perfect. They're on pitch. They're full of energy they're exactly what they need to sound like and he was there to make the game great he was not there to do a job he was not there to read a script that we gave him he was there and he said it over and over again i want to keep doing what you guys need me to do to make this game great that is so awesome and he gave us call outs that Did make he it great come up with any of his own call outs like randomly he just says says random things and he thought it would be funny I actually don't know if Steven could answer that because he was directing him on the call. I know he changed up some of the things. We gave him suggestions for what it is, and then he he made it more his own or or did it in a different style or sang a couple riffs or, or said some things that we didn't have on the script. But I don't know if he created any of his own unique ones. Well, now I'm excited to be uh, to actually like uh, hear him say it and taunt or congratulate us while we play. Yeah, because he's a museum curator, right? He welcomes you to the museum. He shows you around. He tells you what to do. He says when you're doing well, and he says when you suck. <laughs> and um, he he plays the role of that guide. And most games have call-outs that are telling you what to do and, and what to shoot. And they don't always mean something. But in this game, he is a character that makes perfect sense in the context of the theme. What's also nice with over 2,000 callouts is there's variety in in what he says for the same shot over and over. You don't hear the same, you know, shoot the pyramid, shoot the pyramid over and over. It's, uh, you know, you get seven or eight different uh, different callouts per shot at least. So your experience is different every time you play as well. It's not always the same things over and over to get stuck in your head. And one other interesting part about the callouts is and we ha- we talked about this forever because we're like, this is a music pin. You want to hear the music and all 17 of these songs or 16 of these songs, Fun Zone being the instrumental, 16 of the songs are him singing. So you don't really want to be distracted from these amazing songs by hearing a voice play on top of them when you do certain things. So we had to be real careful about how we used voices. We use them a lot more in the lobby while Fun Zone's playing than we do in the modes. In the modes, you're supposed to be listening to the lyrics and doing things that the lyrics are telling you. So he, he chimes in every now and then to, to tell you what to do if you're not doing things well or to congratulate you on a shot or to, to say something funny relative to the accomplishments you're making in the game. But generally speaking, um, we use the call-ups in a way that don't step on the music because the music is the power of the game. Yeah, I, you know, I can't say enough good things about um, just how good everything sounded that we got to hear anyways, right? Um, I think the P3's sound system really kind of highlighted it too because, um, you know, I said it once and I'll say it again. Uh, you guys have one of the best, like, sound audio hardware to be able to deliver that that awesome uh music i mean 
I know me and Parnell jammed out the whole time we were playing it. <laughs> and we only had a quarter, or, you know, maybe a third or a half of what the game has now, right? Yeah, and I don't even think all the modes were developed when you played it. No. They weren't. I so, think there was two or three that, like, sort of worked, but they weren't, like, done done or closer to being done. Uh, I like germs. I think germs wasn't done. Germs is a hilarious mode where you're you're immersed inside of a petri dish that's under a microscope, and you're you're looking you're looking at these uh, amoebas, these amoebas that are the caricature of Al, and there's there's angry ones and there's calm ones. Your goal is to make all the angry ones calm, so you're shooting the ball on the the lcd on top of the lcd the physical pinball is interacting with these virtual targets on the screen and you're converting these angry amoebas to calm amoebas and if you don't do it the angry amoebas they periodically jump at your flippers and they bite your flipper and they steal power from your flipper or your excuse me your probe your uh, scientific probe and also because you're in a petri dish if you hit the ball and it hits the side targets or it hits the, the raised walls that are up at the top of the screen, then you're cracking the Petri dish that's confining the mode. That's where you're playing. So this mode is if you hit the walls too many times, those walls drop, and then you'll shoot it into an open wall. And basically that takes you out of the mode. So your goal is to convert all these angry amoebas into calm amoebas uh, before you accidentally break through the walls of the petri dish and if you do that if everything becomes a calm amoeba then the mode transitions out of the petri dish out of the microscope and these calm green germs splatter all over the play field and the play field is represented now with this green muddy green germ infested overlay that um, transitions into a multi-ball. So you're playing this uh, this frenzy mode multi-ball where every shot you hit makes these cool germ exploding sound effects and you're hearing this. Uh, germs is a really fast-paced, hard-hitting song. and it's, it's a really powerful mode. It's really fun to play. And you guys didn't get to play it. Sorry. Yeah, I think that one. And then is it a... Oh, goodness. The Surgeon song. Uh, like a Surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, a uh, that one too. Song. Just one of the most popular right. songs he ever made. Yeah. yeah, that one too. I don't think was like complete yet, but I'm like a surgeon is uh, basically the game operation. So you you enter the mode and you see on the playfield this surgeon or this uh, this patient <laughs> this patient that's got holes in his chest, just like the character in the game operation. And your goal is to hit the shots to remove the items from the chest. But if you hit the target right next to that shot, it's just like hitting the wall in the game operation and it buzzes you out. And if you buzz too many times, the patient dies and he gets taken off the screen. Another patient rolls in and uh, that's your goal. So early patients have one or two items and later patients have more items to, to make the mode more difficult. But uh, all of the references from the song are in there. All of the objects that you pull out of the patient's chest rep are represented in the lyrics. 
Um, if you watch the music video, you'll see a lot of things that are represented in the graphics in the scene. Uh, it's uh, Matt and Steven and Michael and everyone came up with a really good implementation for that mode too. It's, it's, it's spot on the song. It's, it's perfectly theme integrated. And you didn't get to play that much either. Sorry. <laughs> you said going back in, it gets harder later. So is this a reference to like the first time you play a mode, it'll be easy. And then if you go back to the mode, it'll get harder and better, like different. You'll see different stuff. No, actually. Uh, so we had another interesting conversation when we started. How do we want to handle, uh, do we want to make people play the whole song? Because songs could be two, three, four, five minutes long. How, how do we handle the transition into and out of songs? Um, so we came up with this idea to let you play a song until you accomplished a certain minimum level of objectives. And I think in Surgeon, you have to, like a surgeon, you have to either save a patient or extract a few items successfully from a patient or something. And once you do that, then the exit opens. You can hit the drop target down. There's a drop target in front of a scoop on one of the shots. And if you shoot that shot, it allows you to leave the mode if it's lit. And if you don't hit that shot, you can play that mode as long as the song lasts. So it could be two or three or four minutes. You play this mode, you're saving patients or, you, or you're killing patients. And um, every progressive patient you save enables a more difficult sequence of shots. So it should be pretty easy to save a couple of patients, but saving four or five or six or 10 gets really difficult. Well, we all know how many Parnell's going to save. <laughs> yep, just <None>. myself. That's it. <laughs> and every mode in this game is like that. Like it, it's, it takes the lyrics, takes the music, it delivers you straight into the song and immerses you into the world of Al. I thought I was excited before about getting getting this game. Now I'm even more excited. <laughs> the uh, I guess there's one thing I also want to go over quickly. Um, is uh, the is it the accordion combo? Is that squeeze box? Squeeze box. Thank you. The squeeze box combo. Oh my goodness. Um, I know we've kind of moved on from it, but I feel that at least deserved a quick mention was the squeeze box combos because I really, really enjoyed going for the squeeze box combos. Uh, Do you want to talk about the upper flippers, TJ, the side targets? Yeah, so we had the right side target upper flipper whenever we released Heist. And in this game, we wanted to mirror it, so now we have a, a left upper flipper that can make shots, you know, if it was the same as Heist, but from the left side. But fundamentally, they're they are basically the same, just a left and right. And between those and the mezzanine flipper, um, the Weird Al's game now has five flippers, which is a new, new total for us. Um, did you guys try to get, for the squeeze box combo, there's the two upper flippers, well upper on the main play field can do a figure eight or an infinity loop between each other. So did, was that, did that just come about or was that a thought that you wanted to be able to juggle between them like that? Yeah, or that was, was something like... we 
talked early about in the design process because um, usually you hit a shot with a lower flipper and maybe an upper flipper has a single loop that you can shoot it around a bunch of times or something. But uh, I don't remember who suggested it, but whoever did deserves a lot of credit because being able to get in this rhythm of hitting the, the side right flipper, shooting the ball over to the left around the side loop, we call it, which feeds the middle left flipper, shooting it into the right side loop to refeed the right side flipper, just doing this repeatedly. We call it the squeeze box combo. Every time you do that, there's a, a squeeze box animation plays and accordion plays. Um, the integrated topper in our LE package, which is a motorized physical representation of an accordion that thing squeezes and moves while you're shooting the squeeze box combos. And it's a, it's a really fun combo to, to, to try to hit as many times as you can. Yeah. And it's such a, a fun way to try to stage up shots too. Um, it, I, yeah, I just, like I said, I really had to comment on that. Cause I remember that was another one of those shots that just like really stuck with me was the squeeze box combos. And, uh, it, those shots kind of opening up different opportunities that you didn't think you would necessarily be able to do like at first glance. Um, it was just really, really enjoyable. So the, the right side loop is shared with the spiral entrance. So when the spiral entrance, which is also a lift ramp, when it's up, when the ramp is lifted, that means the back of the ramp mates with the spiral so that your left side flipper shot goes straight into the spiral. It goes all the way up and around the hamster wheel, all the way up into that diverter we were talking about before. And when that ramp is down, and it's funny in my head, I'm thinking up and down, but it's the opposite of the right ramp. The right ramp up means the front of the ramp is up and you can shoot under it. The spiral, when it's up, it means the back of the ramp is up, which means it's creating the ramp into the spiral. Um, so I'm probably saying it backwards, but regardless when the ramp isn't engaged, then the side left flipper can shoot through this side loop and create these squeeze box situations. But yeah, you're right. Um, you can shoot from the side left flipper through the side right loop, stage the upper right flipper, the side right flipper, and then from there, you can shoot any number of things. The side right flipper can, in fact, shoot the left ramp, the left side loop, the ticket counter, which is the drop target lane, or the stand-up targets that you can use to light the supplies. I think cost. we... Oh, go ahead. Well, no, left... I was going to say, I think go I ahead. even saw Parnell once make the luckiest shot in pinball and... Uh, bounce off the stand-ups, bounce off the pot bumpers, and actually fall into the supply closet. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, because when you shoot the targets, you, who knows where the ball's going to go? It's it's right next to the pot bumpers. They pop around and the ball can go anywhere. But I think you can actually hit the outer left loop from the from the side flippers. Because when you flip, the ball gets spin. And if the ball's spinning in the right direction, which by definition it will be, um, when you shoot the opposite side, it has the spin that's going to take it up and around the loop, which is, it's weird when it happens, but it's it's kind of fun to try to do. Yeah, you can hit course. very close targets with our, our side target flippers. The left side target flipper can hit the left ramp, which means the left ramp can be makeable by four flippers, which I think is a pinball first. It's definitely a pinball first. So we also now have the longest shot in pinball. 
that was my thing. I was like, is that supply closet the longest? It's over forty-two inches from the flipper to um, that hole at the very back of the playfield. It's a straight shot through the pop bumpers. That's what she said. That sounds great. <laughs> I should get my tape measure out. That's huge. Because uh, it's behind what you would normally have as your the what's the back of the playfield called? Yeah, it's it's the 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 scoop that is the supplies closet. The the hole that the ball goes through is physically behind the rear panel of our playfield, and our playfields are a little deeper than most to start with. So we pushed it back even farther. Yeah. Um, when you lift this playfield up, is it even more packed than? heist oh there's there are so many more things packed into this game versus what heist is oh my gosh but surprisingly it weighs about the same oh sweet i was waiting for like the the weight you know for shipment and stuff and i was waiting for like 100 pounds i'm like i'm about to do more push-ups or something well heist has a lot of metal buildings and stuff which just add heft to it but don't add a lot of gameplay values more decorations this one Every bit of metal and plastic and stuff on this playfield can interact with the ball. Yeah, this just seems like everything's interactive. Instead of being like a, I guess, like you said, like the buildings or the game Fire popped in my head where it's just like a bunch of molded plastic. It's just, there's shots in this game. There's stuff that the ball can interact with. Yeah, we've... uh... We figured out a way to decorate it with Matt Andrews's art and with TJ designing the mix in a way that can be decorated from the outside. The ball can interact with all these things, but yet it still represents a museum. All the all the shots have walls that have artwork on them, um, museum-y, exhibit-y artwork. Um, all the the ramp entrances have decals and things that represent staircases and, and your, your paths towards things. All of the, the base playfield layer has all of this artwork that represents what you'd see in a museum. And it, it, it does it really in a way that um, takes this mechanically intricate thing, but still makes you feel like you're in a museum. And a lot of the decorations that you do see, that are typical museum style things have a little bit of an owl twist to them as well. Like I know there's a, a Mona Lisa portrait, but it's Al's face instead. That's just a hidden, hidden in a little half inch by half inch picture somewhere on the playfield for, for customers to find. Ooh, we got a little thing to find. There are, there are so many hidden references. I mean, I help lay the decals out and I'm still finding things and I've been staring at them for a while. <laughs> we had That's a, fun. I love those little Easter eggs. Our local printer who printed the side, uh, the side artwork for us, our, our magnets that we attest to these things was like, every time I print this thing, I see a different reference that I didn't see the last time I printed it. It's really funny. So how um, was it for uh, Matt to work with licensing is not too bad. Like, he, cause he did the hand drawn artwork. So it had to be a little bit of like, he had a little bit of freedom, but had to stay within some sort of guideline. Yeah. He pretty much got free reign to come up with all of, I mean, free reign between him and everyone who was suggesting things to do, but uh, pulling references out of songs and song videos. And um, he pulled references out of, everything he could think of 
but he was allowed the creative freedom to integrate them in ways that he thought made sense. Um, we let him kind of come up for concepts for the side artwork, the cabinet artwork and those things and um, made some tweaks and, and let him run with it. Uh, the most important thing for the license, of course, is that we represent Al well, that the things on the play field that, are, that have his face on them, that they look like him, that we show him in a good light and that we represent his character really well. Um, so there were some iterations on that to make sure we captured him in the right light. But um, overall, Matt had freedom to create stuff in his style, um, from his mind, from his imagination. And uh, you can tell he was given that freedom because it, it's a really cohesive uh, package that, that looks fantastic. It, it, it ties all the references really well. And it's uh, it's something we're all proud of. I think the art is like perfect for Alec. Just seeing the art alone is like, oh, yep, that's totally Al. <laughs> Looks like anything he would have done. Yeah, it, it does look seriously amazing. And um, the, uh, I just love how vibrant it is, too. I mean, there's there's a lot of care and attention to detail uh, everywhere. And it, it really shows. I, I really, really like it. So we wanted to deliver the power and the feeling, the immersion, the humor um, the character of his songs and his personality and him as a person. We wanted to deliver a really cool artwork. We wanted to deliver a really impressive mechanical layout with lots of cool stuff. Uh, we wanted to deliver that uh, kinetic feel, the, the powerful shots, these really rewarding things that you can enjoy when you're able to make the ball go up the spiral ramp or go up the right ramp into the orbit on the mini loop and then combo the mini loop into mini loops and then combo that into the back of the camera lock. Did we talk about the fact that the camera lock, the camera, this physical camera that looks exactly like the camera from UHF, uh, it can hold three balls and it can rotate. So you can lock three balls into that thing um, it can move around and release them to start a multi-ball. It's got LEDs that represent the number of locks or when it's lit. Uh, it looks exactly like it from the movie. And um, that combined with all the other elements deliver that kinetic satisfaction that we wanted people to experience. Overall, this thing, this is, uh, we threw, like you said, the kitchen sink at it and I don't think there's any part of this game that we regret or don't think we delivered on. I mean, the camera could like take pictures of me. <laughs> every time I see myself on the JJP games, I freaking want to barf. So it's cool. It's cool. You didn't do that. Cause I do not want to see pictures of myself. <laughs> we don't want to see pictures of you either. So. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. My wife makes me wear a bag on my head. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> No, that camera was so sweet. It it didn't move when we were there, but you could uh, lock a ball into it. And um, three balls into this, I don't know, it doesn't look all that big of a camera. And then in your promo video, you see it turn and then drop balls out. It's yeah, I don't impressive. think we had the code developed for it moving when you were there. But yeah, since then, it's... Uh... So the camera moves. The There's two lift ramps. The... 
hamster wheel obviously rotates in both directions. There's a couple of, there's three different diverters on the right ramp path to the mezzanine and then into the camera or uh, hamster wheel. There's two magnets, the one on the right ramp that we talked about. There's one in front of the supplies closet that's on the outer loop so we can stop the ball, drop them into the pop bumpers or pull it back into the supplies closet or just interrupt the flow of that outer loop if um, the mode is set up to do that. There are three different ramps. There's side loops, there's outer loops, there's the mini loop. We didn't talk about the mini loop, which is under the camera. The ball goes around that. There are shots galore on this play field, and I don't think it feels like it's clunky or or um, tough to shoot these things. Even the mini loop, once you get used to where it is on that flipper, you can hit either side of that mini loop at will. I remember even being able to hit that mini loop with the uh, with the side flippers as well and being like super blown away by that as well just because of the like it that shot it feels so nice like it's it's a really nice shot to make um the ball can come screaming out of there but it is a really fun shot that's for sure (laughs) yep that's for sure and then it's got 10 stand-up targets it's got five flippers it's got three pop bumpers this game has everything we could think of that we could squeeze into this game. You forgot to mention one thing. Uh-oh. Um, it's on the lower part of the play field this time, as we have a crossing wire form. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we forgot and about the that. diverter for the left ramp that isn't there that blew my mind when you guys told me there was no diverter there. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> yeah. I I remember it now that you say that. Because I keep, uh, in the promo video, I was like, wait, how did they do that again? And I had to zoom in and go, oh, oh, it's just a bump. Yeah, so depending on how you shoot the ball into the mezzanine, that determines how the ball comes out, whether it comes down the uh, crossing wire form from the left ramp to the right inlane, or it um, comes down the left inlane. So basically, we can have the ball launch or get shot up a ramp and feed it to either upper flipper because we can launch out the left side or the right side or to either lower flipper because we can get the ball into either wire form to feed either in lane, Um, which means we can stage up pretty much anything and we can get you shooting pretty much anything. And we can stage the upper mini flipper. Oh yes, all five flippers can be staged. For a crazy five ball multi-ball. Yep, so we threw this we threw the kitchen sink at the design at the mechanicals. We we got a bunch of great songs. We got great artwork. Uh, this is a theme and a game that we're hoping people love. We're hoping to see people um finally see the value in the P3. Um a lot of people saw it before, but we still have some hurdles to cross to get the majority of the community to understand that this machine, this multi-game capable machine with games like Heist and Lexi and Cosmic Kart Racing and all of the add-on games like uh, Nick Baldridge's Ranger in the Ruins and Silver Falls and Grand Slam Rally from 86 Pixels, uh, Cannon Lagoon, uh, Shoot and Scoot, Rocks, Barnyard, all these games. And now 
this first licensed game, Weird Al's Museum of Natural Hilarity, uh, are things that you get all in the same machine. So you pay a bunch of money once for the machine, just like you do with all games, and then you can just add all of this wonderful content to it and turn your game room into this thing where you can experience so many different things. Uh, to us, it's a, it's a validation of our efforts. It's a validation of our vision. And it's just really fun and exciting to see the world react to this game. Because, oh, by the way, Al shared our launch on all of his social media. So everybody, everybody who was watching Facebook that day has seen our game. 300,000 views just from his Twitter post. Um, there's a ton of people talking about the game. We've seen celebrities posting about it. We've seen news articles picking it up. Uh, it's got a ton of momentum. We can't thank him enough. The team's been amazing. His team's been amazing. Our team's been amazing. And it's, uh, man, we're really excited. Can you tell? Can you tell I'm excited? I'm excited. <laughs> so after after Al tweeted it, did your like phone and email box just explode? So funny story. I knew he was going to tweet because we were given warnings. So I made sure to talk with uh, our web developers and our IT guys. And we made sure that our server could handle the traffic that we were going to get. We were, uh, we were prepared for it. It's still, it, the, the traffic graphs going to our website that day are, are pretty crazy. That's awesome. It's fun to see, uh, how, just this, just a license alone can just create so much traffic. And, and not just a license, but this one, his reach is, everyone knows him. Everyone loves him. His, his songs reach so many people. His accomplishments, his five Grammys. Um, I think he's pretty well known for having a Grammy in each of the last four or five decades. I think he's the only one who's done that. Um, the guy is amazing. His reach is amazing. His fan base is amazing. It's a, uh, it's, it's, something that we didn't necessarily expect we didn't expect the world to be able to see this game because we're pinball guys and we're in the pinball community but uh his reach is so far beyond what we what we thought it would be when we started and it's 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 really fun to see yeah i am i was i was extremely happy and excited to see um kind of everyone's reactions to it, right? I mean, once once it was announced and especially once the the layout came out as well, it was it's just been a ton of fun to see um <laughs> just all of it, right? Um and it's it's got to be a great feeling for you guys as well cuz I mean, I can already tell you <clears throat> you guys did an amazing job. Thank you. Uh, the, the response we've gotten so far has been incredible. We're looking forward to sales opening and seeing how people react to it and whether or not that translates into hundreds or thousands of sales. We expect a lot of people outside the pinball community to, uh, and we expect it because they've been emailing me and asking, how do I order? What do I do? How do I set up a pinball machine when it gets to my house? What do I do? What should I expect? How, how are these things shipped? Uh, we've gotten hundreds of emails from people that aren't in the pinball community that plan to order. So uh, it's going to be an interesting Monday. That was my, that was going to be my next question was how are we going to, or how are we, how are you going to uh, handle these non pinball people that are all excited? I mean, luckily your support 
um, forum and your YouTube have a ton of video content and guides and how-tos on how to do this. Yeah, so I mean, we'll work through it. We'll make sure everyone's well taken care of and that we support our product and, and um, people learn quickly. Pinball is not super complicated. It's just you have to get used to it, open the hood every now and then to do whatever maintenance you need to clean the plastics or to clean the playfield surface or do whatever. But uh, I mean, it's an interesting challenge, but it's a, it's a fun one. But I see it more as just expanding the audience, expanding the pinball community. There's all these people who, who don't know pinball nearly as well as the rest of us. And we're looking forward to seeing these people react and enjoy and get to use things that we made, but also things that are tied to an IP, a theme, a personality that they've loved for so many years. And we, I got phone calls the other day from people who have been to Al's concerts 60, 70, 90 times. And they're so excited to uh, obviously see more uh, merchandise themed around him, but just the passion they have for what he does and his, his brand of humor and the songs and the, the entertainment he's brought to people has, is you can tell by talking to these people how powerful it is to them. And it's nice to be able to deliver a new kind of product, this pinball machine, um, something that they can enjoy, something that they can play, something that they can see all the references we build in and enjoy the songs and, and, and just relive the theme by playing this game. It's a, uh, it's I maybe mean, we look at themes trying to figure out what will make a good pinball game, but the result of this one is what theme did we use and create a pinball machine for that that can be universally loved by his 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 uh, community, his fans, and and we've clearly done it because the number of emails that have been in our inboxes in the last couple of days uh, is not something we expected. Have you had any of um, maybe like? new to pinball people ask about your other games then because they're they all work on the same system then a, a few people have most people just like the pinball community has been slow to really grasp the multi-game nature of the p3 uh, people outside the community see a video showing a game with a theme and their first impression is probably that that's similar to traditional games that are single themed um, our website makes it pretty clear that it's a multi-game system. People are buying the base machine and adding a game and then adding artwork. Um, and it, honestly, it's caused a little bit of confusion with people who don't really grasp. Because uh, why should they? Pinball's been the same for so long, and we're doing something that is a little bit different or a lot of bit different. Um, yeah, we've gotten some questions, but... Um, it doesn't even matter to me. We've created something that those people get to enjoy and whether they leverage the multi-game characteristics of it or not, doesn't matter. Now in the pinball community, the multi-game characteristics matter because existing P3 owners, they're spending $3,000 to get this game, $3,000 to get this crazy deep and intricate layout, this amazing set of songs and artwork and, and rules implementation, all these things, they're not paying seven or eight or ten or twelve thousand dollars for that game. They're paying three, which is is fairly well unprecedented in this community. Uh, yeah, especially in the last year. <laughs> and oh, by the way, everyone who buys the machine now to get this thing, the next game they we come out with, they'll get the game for twenty five hundred or three thousand dollars or whatever it is. 
So the business paradigm we've created is very different from traditional pinball business. Um, we are incentivized to help people keep their machines running, right? We want them to be able to enjoy their machines. We want them to have this platform working that they can continue to add content um, into it. We create these new things. Uh, we and other people create mini games. There's a couple different parties working on their own playfield modules for the machine. Uh, this game is our fifth playfield module. The web store shows, I believe it's 15 different game kits in total, 14 or 15. Uh, everything continues to grow. And every time some new piece of content comes out for this platform, that's additional value that existing owners get for a fraction of the price of a traditional machine. So we're basically starting to realize the power of the vision, the, the value of the vision, because this game at $3,000 is insanely uh, impressive to me. Super impressive. I'm excited. Yeah, I, I am as well. Um, <laughs> I am absolutely chomping at the bit. And, um, you know, this episode, by the time it goes up, I, you know, I think listeners more or less, you know, it's going to either be now today or tomorrow at the latest, but um, I am absolutely, absolutely excited. Well, we appreciate you having us on. We're, we're obviously excited to talk about it. We're proud of it and we're looking forward to, to getting it in people's homes and seeing them react to it too. I just, you just need to get it to mine and Parnell's house. ASAP. <laughs> oh, is that it? Jerry, I heard you're going to potentially be at the Texas Pinball Festival. We will. That's uh, just a few weeks away, and we will have both a standard edition and a limited edition version of this game in our booth at the show, oh. along with a bunch of other games, because we'll be taking an array of P3s and a bunch of different play fields and a bunch of different games. I heard that you put a big show on at TPF because it's local and easy to <laughs> Easy to bring your six thousand, uh, six thousand, six hundred pound all metal P three out there. No, that is staying in that showroom forever. The 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 metal beast. No, we have uh, we have about ten machines in our showroom that are uh, various ages old. We have some brand new ones that we just made with this machine, and we have some scaling back a few years. But uh, we pack them all up into a big. Uh, a big box truck and take them up to TPF and let everyone enjoy them. Uh, you're going to have a huge line. This is going to be wild. We can't wait. Where There's we a lot of um, people that already had the game on order and they're also going to TPF. And so they're very excited to go see what the new game is going to be before they even get their game. Can't wait. It's going to be a great show. We're looking forward to it. Uh, is there, will you be doing any streams before then, or is it just going to be TPF? We have plans. We need to sort out some details, but yeah, if we can do what we're planning, we'll have the game be visible to everyone well before TPF. How exciting. Awesome. I'm excited for that. <laughs> we will be shipping a couple of units right when orders go live, uh, uh, but we also have the same kind of constraints as everyone else with supply chain, and we're working through those issues. We expect to be shipping these things in volume in just a just a few weeks beyond that. So 
everyone who's already in the back order queue will be starting to see their machines soon and after that the floodgates kind of open and we'll be getting these weird all games out to everybody oh, it's coming quick did you uh want to run down the list of the people on the team and then we'll wrap it up sure so we've got put me on the spot i gotta remember these we've I got <laughs> well, i could click on a link or something and bring them up i have the list Oh, TJ was typing and I didn't even see it. All right, I got it. Yeah, so we've got... St Steven Silver was the creative director on this game. He was also the creative director on Heist. And then we have Matt Andrews on the artwork. Um, software, we have Michael Ocean, Greg Goldie, and I do a little bit of software work as well. And oh, by the way, um, yes, we brought on Bowen, Karens, and Colin McAlpine as rules advisors on this game, but they came pretty late in the dev cycle. So I'd say 80 or 90% of the rules were already established when they got there. The team, the team came up with the concepts and then Colin and Bowen uh, stepped in the, the end to, to help us tweak some things to make things uh, more challenging for some people to get to and easier for some people to get to, but to tie things in and give us more objectives. And we've got Rory Cernuda and Steven Silver both work together on the graphics. Rory is mostly our, our graphics engine guy. TJ, who's been talking with us, he was the mechanical engineer. Scott Denisi was on the audio, not on the music, although he did create a couple of music pieces, uh, some incidental music pieces, uh, but clearly Weird Al Yankovic was the, the musician and the singer and all these things. And then we had help from a couple of friends of team members, Frank Serpice III and Will Beals were uh, friends of some of our developers who are Weird Al fans and helped us do a lot of the creative discussions awesome that's a that's a nice big team seems like yeah a lot of different people with a lot of different skills a lot of experts and a lot of different uh opinions on which songs to include <laughs> so it, it was a, it was a fun process i suppose everybody has their kind of their favorite few songs and so everybody gives their opinion Yep, and then we vote, and then some people get what they wanted, and some people get their second choices, and all in all, the package on this machine turned out really well, so we think we we think we think picked well. That's awesome. Well, great. I can't wait for uh, the pre-orders to open and you to be just having a busy Monday, or is it Sunday? It's Monday. I want you to have a busy, busy day. <laughs> In a good way. <laughs> yes, we're all excited. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of work, but it's a good type of work. So bring it on. Well, I, I think it's that time. Listeners, Jerry, TJ, even you, Parnell. I want to wish everyone here uh, thank you, but also good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Oh, wait. We got to say you can uh, check out the game at multimorphic.com. And that's where you can also do your pre-order. You can what is there an email address that you want them to send it to, Jerry? Yes, sales at multimorphic.com. Perfect. Just send us that you want a machine and a weird out kit, a standard edition or limited edition, and then we'll reply back with uh with farther instructions. But no emails before nine AM Central Time. That's right. Nine AM They will Central. be ignored. Don't try to jump. <laughs> I scheduled mine for 
859. <laughs> you will be ignored. Dang it. All yeah, right. Thanks, thank guys. You. Bye. Bye.